Hello and welcome to Organising to Win, the trade union podcast from Unison Northwest. In our first edition of 2017, we're returning to the subject of the Trade Union Act, which passed into law last May and which, as we've explored in a previous episode, is packed with a raft of measures which are designed to undermine the ability of workers to organise collectively, to defend themselves and promote their interests at work. Now, implementation of the Act hasn't yet fully kicked in, but new rules on industrial action, amongst a a range of other measures, are likely to come into force at the beginning of March with a new set of regulations. So I'll be speaking to Neil Todd of Thompson Solicitors about what the implications of this will be and how trade unions should respond. But first, on the subject of industrial action, Unison members in Copeland took strike action before Christmas as a last resort against threats to cut staff and services in the local council. Many staff have seen their pay fall in real terms in recent years, uh, but the mayor of the uh, count- who leads the council, Mayor Starkey, has actually had a 67% pay rise in 2016. So many, many members came out onto the picket lines to uh, stand together against this unfairness. And Kevin Locus spoke to some of them who took action, many for the first time ever, uh, to speak up for their jobs and the services they provide. Right, so just give us your names. Uh, I'm Stacey Denwood. I'm Sophie Burns. Brilliant. So um, you're here in Copeland on strike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Is it your first strike? Yes, it's our first strike, yes. And uh, what's brought us out on strike? What, what are the issues here? Um, basically, we've had a service review. I need to cut jobs to frontline services. There's 28 jobs that have been made redundant, so people have lost their jobs for Christmas. Um, we don't agree with how the service review has been done and certain processes they have went through so they haven't followed anything correctly in the way people have been treated so out here showing our support to you. Yeah, and are your, are your jobs at risk? Um, they were at risk, we were at risk, yeah. We had to go through um, competitive interviews for our jobs which meant that we had to go from 9.7 full-time equivalents to 7 full-time equivalents. We've lost people in our department as well so we have to cook cut. We've yeah. been working there 30 years, yeah. just gone. Be made yeah. to take redundancy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so is this the first time you've been on strike? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And what was it like in the build-up to it? I mean, it must be you know a big decision to vote yes and then come out, turn out on the picket lines, and you know. Yeah. Um, I think people are really annoyed with how things have gone on. Um, I think things have been building up and building up, and it's kind of added fuel to the fire. And therefore, we've we decided to you know stick together as a team, do go out right and force, do the right thing, go on strike, go on the demonstrations, encourage people to take leaflets and sign the Join petition. Yeah. yeah, we just want to show our support for people who we work with and we've worked with them for quite a long time. So. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, how many people, I mean, we've just been, we've obviously been up picking on this morning, not many people have crossed, have they? How many people are in there today, do no, you think? No, um, I think from the top of my head, there's no more than about five. There's one person in our team and she's her last day tomorrow, she's been took. There's one person in council tax, there's an agency work and then our manager. So that's all And then I know a lot of people from downstairs, customer services haven't come in either. Yeah, so although there might not be a lot of people out here, they've took their own action by not turning up to work today. So I think the council has took a hit by losing a lot of employers this morning. Yeah, yeah. And are you proud of taking the action you've taken? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, having a good time, enjoyed (laughs) it, showing our support. Yeah, I'm happy with my decision to do it. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, Yeah, so we can give you your name and your role. Vanessa Gawley, Revenues Officer. And what's your your role within Unison? Unison Rep for Copeland Borough Council. 
So three days before Christmas, and uh, we're here in Copeland, cold winter's morning on a picket line. How, how did it come to this? Well, management have refused to listen to the workers' suggestions to their service review. They've continually pushed it through um, and not taken into account any other suggestions that staff have made in cutting uh, revenues. The cost of how it uh, we, we deliver the service really. Um, we've had quite a number of staff have taken voluntary redundancy, but that's so that they could make way for other their other colleagues to get a job. And those who have had to have interviews, um, we've had two members of staff who have not got jobs. With well, one's had over 30 years experience process and benefits, and the other lady has had over 20 years experience doing team leader work. So, how many how many job losses are we looking at? Well. I know that when it comes to voluntary redundancies, there was uh, 18 people took voluntary redundancy. Um, staff are saying, well, the corporate team are saying that it should only be five compulsory redundancies, but they haven't taken into account those people who have taken the voluntary redundancy to make way for other staff. They also keep going on about this five compulsory, but that's when after redeployment, but redeployment, um, you can only apply for a job of a similar grade or lower. And a lot of the jobs that are on the redeployment list are at a much higher grade than what staff who are in danger of losing the jobs are currently on, or the specialist roles where you need specific qualifications in the field of work. So, um, so you're on strike today. Uh, what's the morale like of the members a few days before Christmas and here you are on a picket line? Well, after recent decisions that have made, been made within our certain department, our morale in our office is rock bottom. Right. Um, and we feel that we have to come out on strike. Even if it doesn't achieve what we wanted to do in that the stop the service review, we just wanted to cut, get publicity so that... Mike Starkey, Copeland Mayor, um, some bad publicity for him because all he seems to be interested in is getting the good news stories in the local paper. He doesn't want the bad publicity. Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant turnout this morning. I know we're, it's, it's still early, but we're all going to be out on the market square later on, lots of singing, lots of shouting, lots of chanting. <laughs> I'm feet stamping because my feet are freezing. <laughs> Now for many workers, such as those we've just heard from in Copeland, taking industrial action is a last resort and the only remaining option to stand up for themselves against a hostile and unscrupulous employer that's acting unfairly. And it's their right to do that, enshrined in Article 11 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which the new Trade Union Act seeks to undermine. Now I asked Neil Todd, uh, a solicitor from Thompson's Trade Union Law Group, what the regulations coming into effect on March the 1st will mean for working people and how trade unionists should respond. Okay, and um, well they impact on a number of areas, but I suppose the, the, the thing where the, um, which most of your members probably um, will be aware and which has received the most press attention is in relation to ballot thresholds. The requirements going forward will be that in any industrial action ballot there must be a turnout of at least 50% of those entitled to vote. 
Um, that was introduced despite um, strenuous opposition with uh, opponents pointing out that a number of our own members of parliament are elected on a, on a, um, on a percentage which is much less than that. Um, and also obviously pointing to the fact that this the, um, the, the, the legislation assumes that somebody who doesn't vote in an industrial ballot, uh, industrial action ballot is opposed to um, the action in question, which there's no evidence to suggest would necessarily be the case. But notwithstanding that that will be introduced so that 50% turnout. And on top of that, in in other important public services, um, and the definition of important public services is set out in uh, in separate legislation. In addition to the general uh, 50% threshold, in important public services, there'll be an additional requirement that in every ballot of those entitled to vote, at least 40% of them will have to have voted in favour. Uh, of the industrial action. Now they will uh, affect areas in education, fire, health, and border security and transport. And in, in those areas there will be uh, addition, that additional requirement insofar as, uh, insofar as ballots in those, area, in those important public services are concerned. And within that there are um, um, there is guidance with job descriptions uh, provided um, and guidance of the type of industry, you know, the, the type of services uh, which will require that additional um, threshold to be met. So these are additional hoops that, uh, that, that, that workers will, in the UK will need to jump through if they want to challenge uh, their employer through any form of industrial action, not just strike action. Um, so what challenges will that bring for uh, you know, trade union activists on the ground, our branches and stewards, what will they need to do differently? Um, well, I think there's a, a number of things to think about. I suppose, firstly, in any ballot that you conduct, you must um, secure a 50% thresh uh, mandate threshold. And, and as we said, in these important public services, there'll be a requirement to get that further 40% vote in favour. I, I suppose, first and foremost, um, you know, where unions perhaps um, have been able to be, um, you know, not concerned necessarily about turnout in the past, and have really only be, been concerned about what the uh, end result will be. And um, clearly now they're going to have to uh, ensure that at least fifty percent of those are balloting, are voting. I, I suspect that's going to mean more work done on the ground to ensure that the voter turnout um, is high enough to ensure that the ballot is valid. Um, I suppose another th- uh, another way, and also another thing that unions will have to, to consider is, um, you know, they'll have to give a bit more thought to who they're balloting, um, and you might see more examples of um, specific targeted balloting in certain areas. So, for instance, if it, it, um, in the past where the union may have voted, uh, you know, uh, you know, may have identified quite a large balloting constituency, including people who are not necessarily affected by the issue, just because. Um, uh, you know they've chosen to approach the dispute in that way, um, and have not had to worry if the turnout's not necessarily as high amongst those that, that, that aren't directly affected. Now you might see um, very specific parts of um, an organisation or a business being targeted in a specific way, because that would ensure you know um, a more targeted ballot may ensure uh, that the turnout thresholds um, are met. I mean most of the commentary in the area suggests that. 
the air, you know, that it will be more difficult to get uh, a high turnout uh, where you know you're aggregating a ballot across a, a whole number of employers, or perhaps you're um, you know it's a large ballot across quite a diverse workforce, or you're balloting over an issue where not everyone is affected. They're likely to be the more difficult ballots. So I could see uh, situations where there is more sort of targeted, uh, you know, targeted balloting, perhaps with a wider campaign built around a smaller number of people taking industrial action. So apart from the ballot thresholds, are there any other um, aspects of these new regulations that are going to have a direct impact on uh, organising, recruitment and building union strength in UK workplaces? What about the um, the uh, kind of attacks or the, the monitoring of facility time? How's that going to affect people? Yeah, what, what the, the new regulations allow is for ministers to introduce regulations requiring a public sector employer to publish information um, as to the number of uh, union representatives employed by it, the total amount uh, that is spent on paying for facility time, uh, the type of facility time that's taken, uh, and the percentage of the aggregate amount of facility time in a specified period. Now, it, it, we, we think it's likely that ministers are, li- uh, are, are likely to introduce these guidelines, and what will happen is that over, a, um, a, you know, they will be required on a sort of annual basis um, uh, to publish in, this information, and, and one of the fears is that, you know, it, it's going to be a situation like a race to the bottom, where employers are almost competing with the, one another to ensure that their figures are are lower and therefore that they're taking steps to try and reduce facility time where they can. Um, there is also this reserve power which says that after three years, uh, informa- once the information has been preside- pr- provided for three years, then there is a reserve power built into the regulations that suggests that, um, well, sorry, it doesn't suggest, it says that states that a minister will then be able to exercise a further power to cap the amount of the employer's total bill spent on facility time. Now, the government have been at pains to say they don't envisage any ministers having to do that because they say that the information sort of, the provision of, um, the provisions that are going to be introduced whereby the employer will have to provide the information should be sufficient for them to self-regulate. But, you know, clearly, um, by the very fact that they've introduced in, uh, this reserve power as part of the Trade Union Act, it suggests that, you know, in three years' time, um, we may see this. And, and what will happen is, really, after the end of the three years, employers will be given 12, will be served a notice and will be given 12 months to try and do something about uh, their facility time. Um, and if they can't do that, then um, then, then this, this cap could be introduced by a relevant minister. So I suppose you're looking at you know, potentially four years' time before a cap could theoretically be applied. But you know, it is something that I think um, you know that the, the union should be uh, concerned about um, going forward. And finally, you know, talked about some of the negatives or the perhaps the the, the threats, potential threats posed by this new trade union, uh, this new trade union act and the the regulations that are uh, forthcoming. But uh, one thing that the trade unions did raise um, through the TC and, and directly during the, uh, the the bill phase is the uh, potential of using. Uh, of having some positive reform, for example, in the area of uh, online balloting, where at the moment trade unions have to use quite antiquated, old-fashioned methods of postal ballots, which are often ineffective. Um, you know, in other areas of public life, 
you you can vote for somebody online, like you know the uh, conservative leadership election, for example. You could use online balloting, and there was some I understand some commitment to, to looking at that question. Where are we up to on that? Has there been any progress? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the most pernicious elements of the legislation uh, were withdrawn um, as the uh, bill made its way through the House of Commons and the House of Lords. For instance, at the the outset, there was some uh, very strange provisions um, around the right of protest and suggestions that unions would have to publish their plans on uh, any plans and anything they do on social media in advance of those protests. And and that side of things fell away. and so now we're just left with this law, you know, with 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 a law on picketing, which which is still going to be vastly reformed with the requirement to appoint a picket supervisor who has to wear an armband, etc. But clearly there were some victories, uh, you know, important victories won in that area in the sense of uh, of the withdrawal of of, of of some of the more unsavoury parts of, of the legislation. What about um, what about online balloting specifically? Are we any further to, um, you know, any? Consideration of potential regulations to allow for online balloting? Yeah. Have there been any discussions on that question? The government were initially, um, you know, um, very opposed to the suggestion of online balloting um, and it got very little traction in the House of Commons. I think David Cameron actually made a statement on it to, 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 to voice his opposition to it. But the, the House of Lords viewed the issue differently. I think there were real concerns that the introduction of balloting thresholds um, were potentially inconsistent with Article 11 uh, of the uh, uh, European Convention of Human Rights, which which suggests, which which as you will know, is um, about the freedom of association and, and obviously linked to uh, a right and a, you know the right to associate is uh, the right to strike, and it's very difficult to distinguish those two things. And having such a restriction like the balloting thresholds on that uh, right to strike raises a very serious um, question about how compliant the UK would be. As a result of that, the idea of electric electronic ballot became, um, if you like, even stronger as to how could you justify not having electric electronic balloting, which most people think would increase voter turnout when you're going to have these sort of very draconian uh, um, turnout requirements, which aren't anywhere else. Um, you know, there the, are the very few examples of, of countries having these. Um, and as a result, yes, what we've got is a decision that there will be a commission uh, in relation to uh, electronic balloting and um, a report will be uh, produced and will be put forward to the Secretary of State. The report has been commissioned by uh, Sir Ken Knight who is a former Chief Government Fire and Rescue Advisor and he is um, uh, and it's been stated that that will be put before the Minister by December 2017. Uh, I mean but what's important to know about is that you know the minister then has to consider that report and I think then makes comments on it when it will be presented to, to the house but there is no guarantee and you know whatever is in that report whether it be in favour or not in favour that, that there will necessarily uh, be an introduction to um, uh, electronic balloting. However you know I suppose the report does provide the means for a campaign, uh, you know, a campaign to be built that that should be introduced 
um, once the report is put forward. I mean, the, the concern has always has always been cited uh, around electronic balloting is security. Uh, but my view would be it would be surprising in, in this day and age if, the te- if if we didn't have the technology that could find some means of ensuring that was a safe system to operate. So in a nutshell, uh, the uh, elements which restrict unions from taking industrial action are going to be probably in most all likelihood be brought forward on the 1st of March. But uh, in terms of modernising some of the methods by which unions can engage with their members on those issues, that's a little bit further down the pipeline. That's not been quite so much of a priority for the government. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, this this legislation is all about, um, you know, it, it is an outright attack on uh, trade unions. And while, as we said, you know, some of the more pernicious elements, um, you know, such as the, uh, you know, the, 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 this idea that they were going to try and abolish checkoff, while some of those, um, uh, you know, checkoff whereby trade just to explain to your listeners whereby trade union members pay their uh, their subscriptions directly through um, you know directly through the employer rather than making their their, their, their subscriptions through direct debit while the, the, the you know the proposal abolished that was um, um, you know that the, the government was prepared to give on that and as a result check off um, arrangements can continue to remain in fact that in place there is still very little good news that comes from this all of this is is placing further restrictions on trade unions it's making it more difficult to take industrial action um, it's putting a higher administra- uh, administrative burden on trade unions with the increased powers uh, now held by the certification officer um, and so it is difficult to be positive about uh, about any of it. It, it is going to be um, a, a big challenge for trade unions and certainly one of the, uh, the biggest challenges they've faced in a, in a generation. Neil Todd there from Thompson's Trade Union uh, Law Group. And if you're a Unison member, incidentally, Thompson's provide a range of services which you can access as part of your membership, uh, including if you're injured at home or at work. And for more detail about those, you can visit their website at www.thompsonstradeunion.law. That's www.thompsonstradeunion.law. Well, that's all we've got time for for this month, but uh, thanks very much for listening. As always, you can access um, a range of resources related to this month's programme and also past episodes on our website, which is www.unisonnw.org forward slash podcast. But for now, uh, thanks again for listening and see you next time. Bye bye.